Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. I'm delighted to say we're on episode number 21. Um, so our next guest is an Irish footballer who plays as a striker for P-Mount United. She formerly played for Fiorentina, Houston Dash. I hope I get all these pronunciations right or she's going to give out to me. Uh, Sunderland, Sunderland, ASPTT, Albi, and she plays for the Republic of Ireland's women and national football team. Um, in October 2013, her, her goal for PMF United was runner-up in the 2014 FIFA Puskas Award for the best goal of the year. I'd love to welcome Stephanie Roach and see if I got any of that wrong. No, Tom, you're okay. I won't, I won't pick you up on any of that. <laughs> Thanks for having me. First off, how are you keeping? All good, yeah. yeah. I was just kind of trying to keep myself occupied during this crazy time. But yeah, all good. Can't complain. And I see uh, on your social media, you're still doing your skills and training away from the football side of things yeah, while we're on lockdown. Yeah, I'm trying. I actually, just before all this happened, I started up my own YouTube channel. So I've kind of been busy doing, going out to the sessions for that specifically. And obviously it helps kind of having that motivation to get out and do them for YouTube means that I'm getting my own training in as well. So it's kind of, it's been nice to be able to get out and do that and have that kind of, as I said, motivation to get videos done as well as getting sessions done. So keeping myself busy as best I can with football training and you have a little makeshift gym out the back garden as well. So it's Brilliant. been, uh, been okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So Stephanie, what we do with, with normally with most of our guests is we try to just reel in the ears, I suppose, and go back a little bit. Where does like your journey begin with soccer or football? Uh, how did that begin for you growing up? Um, I grew up in Shankill um, and I lived in a housing site in Shankill and Cliffs in Shankill and I was quite lucky because we had so many areas that we could go and play football. Like we got a big green in front of my house. We had an actual football pitch with the big goals up towards the, behind the woods as such. And then around the block, as we were called, it was another field area. And then we had, uh, we actually painted goalposts onto big walls on a road. So there was a goalpost on each side of the road and we used to play there as well. So, I was really lucky in terms of I had every, like every chance to get out and play every day and and just enjoy my childhood, particularly with the lads who I grew up with. Like I just went down, I was the only girl who ever played football. But I was a bit of a tomboy growing up, obviously, and just enjoyed getting out and playing with the lads. And every day was kind of get out with the football and whether it be going out practicing my skills or actually playing full on matches where we'd all go up, get our boots, shorts, big full kits on, and go up to the pitch. So it was always like really really good um, I had two older brothers Eric and Paul who both played football as well Eric particularly played in teams more so than Paul so I would have went and watched him and my dad was his coach as well so kind of I had that influence from a very early age and I was able to kind of get out and play a lot and, and just yeah football was always a huge kind of part of my childhood growing up and Stephanie did you notice that like you were getting on really well or exceeding most of the boys you were playing against or how did like not really it's weird because I don't think I really did. I think growing up, I was just playing for fun. And I knew I was a good player, obviously. I remember we had a neighbor who actually sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And I mentioned him in an interview before, but he used to always go out walking. And I remember him walking by all the time and he'd always call me Baggio. 
from the Italian the yeah. Italian team. Like I always used to think, God, oh, this is great. And every time I seen him, I'd be kind of like, oh, he's gonna say it again, you know, that kind of way. And I used to think, if he's saying that to me, they must think that I'm quite good. And I think there's a, there was part of me probably thought that maybe he just thought it was unusual that there was a girl playing football with the boys. But I think the, the lads kind of always treated me kind of equally and just they didn't really take it easy on me. And I wasn't like, oh, take it easy on the girl. So I suppose that made me think that maybe they actually respected me and thought I was a decent player because it was always tough kind of going whenever we played matches and stuff. But yeah, I, I kind of just enjoyed playing with the lads growing up. And I think it wasn't until I got into a team football where I realised that maybe I had the ability to maybe go a little bit further with it. And Stephanie, on that, was there many women teams at the time or how, how did it work? Um, not really. I didn't know, to be honest, I didn't know a lot about any sort of teams, particularly for myself. I knew that the lads that I grew up with were playing in teams and I knew obviously my brothers had played in teams and stuff like that. So I knew that there were football teams in the area and Valeview Shankill was a team that a lot of people I knew were involved with. But for me, I always thought, that wasn't girls teams I didn't just didn't know about it and it never really came up you know that kind of way and it wasn't until I was playing in the street with the lads again and Ian Walsh one of the lads that I played with his mom said oh the lads are playing for Valvish and Kill would you not go up and train with them and maybe try to start playing in the team and I was kind of like oh yeah I never even thought of it type of thing like and I ended up going up and training there one evening my dad brought me out and brought me my first pair of boots and we went up and I played in the training and it went from there and I kind of just I grew into that team and, and loved it. Like, and I remember I got to the, I started playing there at 11. And then when I turned 13, I couldn't play with the boys anymore. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I was devastated. I remember because all my friends were playing there. Like, and I was kind of just felt really a big part of the team and really enjoyed it. And then I ended up, there was a guy who used to come and watch our matches. Um, he'd be walking in the park we played in Tyrrell's Land in, in Shankill near the cemetery there so there'd be loads of people kind of walking around and would see us playing so there was a guy Mick Caulfield who, who came and seen me play one day and said look I'm one of the girls team up in Cabin TV if you'd like to come up and play for us so again kind of just took off I went there and, and kind of everything really took off once I went there because I was playing with all girls and there was obviously more opportunity for women's coaches to see me, people who were involved in the women's side of the Irish team and stuff. So it kind of took off then when I went there and I got opportunities to go on trials and stuff like that. So, Yeah, brilliant. And Stephanie, just before we go into, uh, I suppose, your, your career starting or taking off, was there any other sports that like you loved or was it just solely football? Just football, yeah. I remember when I was in secondary school, I used to have... Uh, teacher Mr Jennings he used to always get me to try and play basketball and I used to be like I don't really want to play like but I was okay at it because I was tall and I was able to obviously I got good kind of ball coordination all that sort of stuff so I was able to kind of handle the ball and do everything else but I just wasn't that into it and I remember he used to always be getting me to come out and I kind of I go the odd time but most of the time I'd be like oh no can't, can't be bothered like I have a football training later on type of thing like so it was always kind of football and never really had an interest in Gaelic or, or any other sport it was always just just mainly football Brilliant and uh, Stephanie so you moved to Cabin Teeley um, you're, you're going probably into your teenage years you're obviously progressing as a footballer and they're obviously seeing your talent so what happened next or how did that journey continue? Um, my first kind of I suppose success would have been getting my trial for on the 15 schools team um, which I got through to the second phase of the trials and I actually didn't get picked and I remember being really angry because I caught myself and one other girl who was in my uh, secondary school Holy Child um, both of us done really well in the trial and didn't get picked and I was kind of like they weren't watching this properly like they weren't actually taking 
you know, actually a proper interest. And it meant so much to us. That, and it was really disappointing for me because I was like, that's it. Then I'm not going get, to get picked again. Because I think as a child or as a teenager, that's the way you think. I think if you get, don't get into the team first, you're like, oh, well, that's it. It's not going to happen. And I remember like coming home in the car with my dad and, and he was like, oh, look, you'll get more opportunities. Just keep playing type of thing. And, and as, as I said, as a teenager, you think it's the end of the world. You think that's it. You're never going to get another chance. But... A few weeks later, I got a trial for the 17th. Or I was actually playing a match for Captain Teeley and Noel King was at the game. He was the then senior women's international manager. And he kind of seen me and come over to us after the game myself and my dad. And was like, uh, we'd lost the game, but I'd played really well. I remember we played against Stella Maris, who were a really, really good team at the time. And I played really well in the game, but obviously we were disappointed because we lost. And he came up to me afterwards, which I always remember because it was just something that gave me that kind of pick-me-up. He just said, oh you're a very, very good player. And I remember he actually asked me, do you play Gaelic or just football? And I said, just football. And he goes, oh, that's great to hear. Like jokingly, and then I found the way because he wanted me to make sure that he was focused on just football. But he said, oh, you've got a good career ahead of you. Uh, keep up the good work. And I remember just looking at my dad and kind of going, oh, geez, there is actually a chance I might actually play again for Ireland or get a chance to play for Ireland. And a couple of weeks later, I got into the 17s and we had, I think it was like a, a three-week trial thing where it was every weekend you were in for three weeks and I done really well and we played a match and I scored four goals in the match and I just it was really kind of I was on fire in the trials and I remember just thinking oh, this is it for me I think I'm going to do really well and it took off from there I, I played with the 17s and then went on to play for the 19s and, and thankfully later on I got to play for the seniors as well Brilliant and Stephanie during that time when um, you were progressing was there were you saying I can really make a go this I can well, like was professional the goal or we like I need to keep my education up or how how did you find all of that yeah I think I was a little bit I suppose naive I always thought like football 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 that was all I thought and I suppose I thought maybe I grew up kind of idolizing men's football and I would have been a big Man United fan still am and I would have kind of been looking at them players getting the money they were getting to play and I think I probably thought of it as like I can go and play for like Man United and get paid thousands because I didn't really know the internet to women's football back then you know and I kind of really did just focus on football. And when I finished school, I I went to Stadium in College and I'd done a fitness and leisure course. And I just wasn't really into it. And I remember thinking, right, I'm going to go and try and work and play football. And hopefully I'll be able to get away. So I remember I went to work in Champion Sports. Uh, that was, Jesus, a good while ago now. And I kind of was working there and playing. And then after working in Champion Sports and then not really being able to keep giving me the time off for work, I was like, right, I'll go and try some work somewhere else. So I was kind of going from job to job, trying to get a job that fit around my schedule for football because later on when I was kind of a bit older, I was playing for P-Mount where we were in the Champions League and I was playing international football. I remember in particular one September, as I talked about last night with my boyfriend's dad, um, I had to get like four weeks off work. So I was playing in the Champions League, which we were away for two weeks. And then I came back. I think I was in for two or three days. And then I had to go away again with the Irish team. So it was difficult trying to balance the, the kind of work and football. So I think, as I said, I was a little bit naive in terms of thinking, OK, I can go and make loads of money from football. And I kind of didn't really stick at my college the way I probably should have. Um, and then later on, I went back and I done a football course with the FEI, which was which was really enjoyable because I got my uh, my youth cert and my coaching course and I got to kind of go into schools and, and do coaching and stuff like that, which is something that I'm trying to do now with my own kind of business. So it's that was something that really helped me in terms of not just football because it was football training as well as, as kind of coaching. So I was training every day and then I was doing coaching courses 
and going into schools and working and, and kind of getting that kind of little bit of experience in terms of actually having a full-time job and and getting something that maybe could work in the future so that was probably the only kind of real thing that I stuck at I was at it for for two years I got an internship afterwards as well so that kind of in terms of work and education side of thing that was the only thing that really kind of kept me kind of I suppose focus on the future and look to what I need to do after football like and Stephanie just on that um there could be people listening uh male or female but like what talk to us about like the training you were doing a week and like the hours you were committing to this uh, full full on to be honest like when <clears throat> before I went professional I would have been training probably twice a week with P-mounts um, I was on I was lucky enough because I think if you're by yourself it's very difficult to train all the time and I'm only kind of starting to learn that now that I'm back home from being professional because now I'm kind of having to do all this training myself but before I went away as I mentioned I was on the course so I was training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on that course and then I was going to train and on the Tuesday and Thursday. So I was getting double sessions on Tuesday and Thursday and then I was doing the football training on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, which would be two hour sessions and it'd be decent. Like, And I'd go to the gym then when I got home, usually on a Monday and a Tuesday if I could fit it in before training or Monday and Wednesday because the match would usually be on Saturday or Sunday. So you'd like to be kind of fresh for that in terms of doing obviously leg weights or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was pretty full on. I had to kind of make sure that I was doing everything that I had to do because I knew then when I went to play for Ireland, that a lot of the people that I was playing against were playing full-time football. So it was, I had to be able to compete when I got in there, you know? And Stephanie, during that time, was there, was there a point when, I don't know, it might've been your first cap, it might've been representing the country, it might've been a goal. Was there a, was there a highlight where you're like, well, this is what I want and this is, this is like, I can see my full career as this? Yeah, I think my, my debut for Ireland sticks out. I remember we got to the playoffs for... Uh, 2008 Euros and we went to Iceland and it was a bit of a shambles to be honest we played a match on a pitch that was just covered in ice the match should not have went ahead and and obviously nobody really is used to playing on ice but if anybody was going to be more used to it it was Iceland (laughs) over us so that was kind of my first taste of real kind of competitive like if we win this game we're qualifying for a major tournament and that was something that gave me that kind of like I've always said with Ireland I want to qualify for a major tournament and that was the first kind of taste I got of it and the first kind of like right I can do this and after that game I made my home debut um, against Kazakhstan in Turner's Cross and I scored a late winner and my family were at the game and it was just the feeling and like you can't explain the feeling that I got it was just amazing like I remember just being so excited like for weeks after the game even like and I remember my name came up on teletext. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> my boyfriend was at home watching the match and he obviously checked teletext every few minutes to see the score, get the update. And he was telling me, oh, telling me, man, dad, like how you scored the goal and the winner and all that. Like it was just an amazing feeling. As I said, my, my dad was there, my, my brother and my granny actually came as well. So yeah, it was just an amazing feeling. And from then on, just any time I score for Ireland, I think if anybody's ever seen me play, I just go crazy because it means so much to me to score for the country. So it was just, yeah, that was kind of the moment where I was like, right, I want to stick at this and I want to make sure that I want to score many more goals for Ireland. And Stephanie, just on that, when, when did the, I suppose, opportunities or when did you look at maybe, I can't do it maybe in Ireland, I need to go abroad to, to get the next level? Yeah, the first time I kind of actually knew really about women's football abroad would have been when I got into the Irish team because like when I was playing on the underage football all the girls kind of played 
in Ireland. Um, there were a couple of girls in one of the 19s. We had a couple come in from from Chelsea, Arsenal, I think Fulham, one of the girls played for. Like So I kind of knew a little bit about them, but it wasn't until I got into the senior team. And I remember being in Sweden in a game. I didn't play in the game. I remember being over there. It was my first time in the game with the squad. And I was talking to a couple of the senior players and they were like, oh, would you not think about going away? And I was like, oh, I never really thought about it, to be honest. And, and they were kind of telling me like the opportunities that are there and where I could go and and teams that could probably would like actually look after me and so like that. So that was kind of the first time I really thought about it. And I kind of was like, all right, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I didn't really go looking for it as such in that kind of way. So I was playing in P-Mount with a girl who was from France. She was over for a year. She was studying in Ireland, but she played football in France and she's a very good player. And she played with us for a year and I kind of was always quite nice to her. I always kind of tried to look after her because obviously I know now, but back then I didn't. But I think when you're in, a new country and you don't know anybody it's important that somebody tries to help fit, help you fit in because it's a difficult time and looking back in hindsight I wouldn't have known anything about that like that I know now obviously because I've been away but she was a really nice girl really got on well with her and she went back to France and got in touch with me like a couple of months after she was back and said look I'm playing for a team here um, ASPT Albi would you be interested in coming to play like and I was just like oh never really thought about this and just didn't think anything about it and I was like yeah definitely I want to come so I went over on trial trained well done really well the manager really liked me and we went into kind of a little office and signed the contract or went through the contract and I had no agent I hadn't got my dad or my mom with me I was on my own and I wasn't really I was 23 so I was old enough to be fair but I didn't really know anything about it and I was just kind of like are you professional football training every day I have my apartments I'm getting paid which was pittance, to be honest. Which that's probably the only part that I didn't really look into much. But I kind of was like, I'm going for it, and and I went for it. And yeah, it was an experience to say the least. A <laughs> bit of a crazy time, but it was. When you sorry for cutting across you there. Hi, right. When you made that decision and you signed the contract, did you get like how was the reception at home here? Was people they want you to stay in Ireland and play, or were they like, what are you doing, or were they delighted for you? No, they were happy. Yeah, I think at that stage, the Women's National League was kind of in its kind of first couple of years. It wasn't really that. It was, we had a really good team of P-Mounts. Um, and it kind of came at a time where it really wasn't a tough decision for me because P-Mount, the team that I was in, had kind of started to come apart. Like a, lot, a few players had gone away. Um, the man, Eileen had, was just about to leave. Um, and I just kind of, I thought the time was right because the team that I've been in for the two years that I was at Piedmont was unbelievable and I loved my time there but it was like the things that were going wrong there kind of made me go okay well this is the chance to go type of thing and in fairness the Ireland manager Sue I think yeah it was Sue at the time um, was like yeah look it go away it can only be good for you you're going to play professional football you'll be training every day and, and, and they were quite quite happy for me to go away and, and be in a professional environment and Stephanie how was that experience like was it all you dreamt of or like how was um, that? No, it wasn't. I think that was the first reality check that I got in terms of, of women's football. I've seen, like I've been fortunate enough to play in loads of different countries over the years and, and meet loads of different people and play in different types of teams and different types of organisations. And that was kind of my first kind of like, as I said to you before, when I was younger growing up, I was quite naive in terms of thinking, like I followed Man United and I looked at the money they were making and the lifestyles they lived. And you always just think, that's what I'm going to have, you know, that kind of way. And I think when I went to France, it was, as I said, a reality check. I kind of, I got there. I 
signed my contract hastily. I was only getting paid 700 a month. And they, that sounds like loads to a young 23-year-old who wasn't really getting paid a lot of money at the time. But I didn't realise I had to pay bills. I had to feed myself. I had to do everything on like, the way. And it was just kind of like, it was very 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 hard like my dad had to help me out my boyfriend being a friend sent me over money whenever I needed it as well so that was tough financially but I think football wise I loved the training we trained really hard and it was tough but I was really really fit and I felt like I could really really compete and do well over there but um, like the te- my teammates were not nice just weren't nice people and like that was very very difficult for me because Irish girl no she she was French but she was really nice and looked after me really well the first two months and her and another girl Chloe who was really really nice girl and I was I got there in September trained for the whole September we played started season kind of middle September and then in October we were at training one night and uh, Chloe and the other girl who was the girl who brought me over um, both had a huge row with the manager and like absolute craziness like full on that was reminded me of Patrice Ever at the World Cup that time I don't know if you remember the, the big arguments he had with the manager and it was just like I was standing there didn't know what was going on they're speaking French obviously absolutely tearing into each other and I was just like oh my god what is happening and then the two of them walked away from training and didn't come back to, to the team again and I was just like oh shit what am I going to do I'm on my own now like and it was just it was mental because in fairness a couple of the girls kind of came to me and tried to explain what happened and I was just like so are they not coming back like and they were like no and I was like I remember the, the Monday going on the training with the manager and the manager used to he loves me and he used to bring me into the room and just keep speaking French to me and I'm standing there going I don't know what you're saying like it was the most frustrating thing ever because I was like, the couple of words that I did know, I was standing there kind of going, okay, I kind of know what he said there. And I'd kind of pretend to answer and know what to say. And like, he was kind of, I think he was worried that I'd leave because they'd left. And, and he tried to kind of reassure me that it would be okay. And we had another coach who was, he was Serbian, but living in France for years. And, and he was kind of talking to me in broken English saying like, oh, they've gone, they've left. They're not going to be here. So they're not going to be able to translate for you. So it's important that you learn the language. And I was like, right, okay. I was going to get my lessons because to this point I hadn't had any lessons so they were like okay we're going to sort that out and they got me a couple of lessons but then the girl who gave me my lessons um, had to go to college in Montpellier and she said to me like I was really enjoying it and I was getting I was getting there with the language I was picking it up a little bit better like you're not going to pick it up overnight you know but she was leaving and told me that she'd do my uh, lessons through Skype if I wanted to and I was comfortable with that. And I went to the chairman at the time and said that. I said, look, he's or she's very comfortable in terms of doing Skype lessons with me. I think it'll be easy because I've been working with her for so long. And he was like, no, we don't want that. We're going to get you somebody else. And I was just like, okay, right, grand. And then that took another six weeks or something to get a new person in. Again, in those six weeks, I think they were expecting me just to be able to pick up the language, which again you can't like it was difficult and it was just a yeah a difficult time um, and again was it lonely or did you have support from family or friends how was that it was yeah that was the biggest thing for me I think I was quite I was alone I was by myself um, I was quite lucky in terms of my family they came over as much as they could they all obviously work full-time jobs so it was difficult for them to come over a lot but they all kind of they came over all together once and then they kind of took turns coming in. Like Dean would come one week, my dad would come with his his girlfriend and then my mom would come, you know, they kind of took turns of coming. But it was difficult because 
I really was alone. Like at least she was getting up in the morning. I was going training. We done double days someday, and I could up at like I don't know eight. Go to train and come back. Uh, wait around, go train it again in the evening, and like there was nothing else for me. Like I had before, I had Celine and and Chloe who were really good with me and would come and kind of say, "Oh, we're going to do this if you want to come with us." But when they left, they weren't living in Albion anymore because Albion was in a little tiny city, so our little tiny village. That they weren't living there anymore. They were going back home to where they lived, and I was kind of just by myself. And like a couple, in fairness, if I say the girls weren't nice. There were a couple of the girls who were really nice, but didn't speak great English. And I didn't speak great French, so they weren't really keen to ask me to go places with them because I'd just be sitting there like a sore thumb, not being able to really interact with them, you know, that kind of way. But yeah, that that was the hardest part because I would be quite a sociable person and I like doing things, but when I was there, I couldn't do it because I wasn't really being asked. And yeah, I just didn't really have any friends. And that was the most difficult part of being in France. It was it was a lonely thing. And, and, and I think it, as well, like my teammates weren't very nice to say when I, when I had that girl come to, to team I tried to help her as best I could and and since then I've kind of learned if if it, when I've been on teams and new players come in I'd always trying to make, help make them feel welcome but my experience in France was yeah, it was it was difficult and as I said it was nothing to do with football because the manager actually still messages me to this day asking how I'm getting on and he really liked me and, and played me all the time so I played quite a lot it was just it was the off the field stuff that I just couldn't deal with there was a lot of bitchiness as well and because I couldn't speak French I think a lot of it was aimed at me because they knew I couldn't really stick up for myself because I didn't really know what was being said you know it was there was genuinely like borderline bullying going on within the team and I was just like oh I'm, I'm not here for this I want to go and enjoy my football somewhere and, and that's when I decided I remember I came home at Christmas and like my dad was like oh how are you like and I kind of said I'm grand and he kind of he could see by me that I wasn't happy and he was just like look at do whatever makes you happy like don't feel like you have to be there and that was kind of what I needed because I felt like I was stuck because I felt everybody was so proud of me being away playing professional football and I remember just being like oh, I have to stay I can't go home like I can't just give up like I remember being home at Christmas and I had a great Christmas and I went back in the January and we were meant to have a match a friendly match like and I got home the Wednesday and the match went to be on the Thursday which is a weird one because we never played mid-beat matches and I remember sitting in the apartment waiting for the text to say where we were meeting and stuff and nobody got in touch with me and I was just like what is going on so I messaged the manager and he said the girl said that I didn't come back and I was just like what like, this is crazy like and yeah. I just remember thinking oh this is that's it like and I literally packed my bags and booked the fight for the next day and I went home and they emailed the club and I said look I'm not going to be here anymore I don't think it's for me I said I don't feel you are you are prepared the way you should be to have foreign players in and, and until you are I think you're going to struggle to keep to keep players like myself at the club and and I've, I've actually, when I played in Italy last year, our goalkeeper had just come from playing there and she said it's still exactly the same. She'd left halfway through the season. So that kind of made me feel a little bit better because it meant it wasn't just me that it happened to, you know? Yeah, well, listen, to hearing that story, I really appreciate your honesty and going into the depth with it and, well, to, to be pushed out of a club like that. So, Stephanie, where was the next stop or next journey or what came about after that? Um, towards the end of my time in France, the Puskas nomination had come through. So obviously I scored the goal playing for Piedmont, but the nomination didn't come to the following season. Worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So I was playing in um, in France at the time. And I remember the actually the second phase of the, the in the December, I was in France. And I remember a TV crew came and all the video and my reaction to being picked for the top three. And I remember 
it was the weirdest feeling ever because as I said I didn't really not that I didn't get on with people but I didn't really have friends there I didn't really feel like any of them were happy for me and I kind of went that was the weirdest thing because I was sitting in a room with the manager the assistant manager and a few of the girls there was a girl from America a goalkeeper and another girl from America who I kind of got on with like she was a nice girl Caroline but everybody else I was just kind of like why are they here like they don't really give a shit if I get this or not you know like on the way and it was just a weird feeling and I remember when they announced my name in the top three I was so excited I was like this is unbelievable and the only thing I wanted to do was ring my boyfriend or like ring my dad I was like where's my phone like I don't care about any of these people I just want to ring my dad and my boyfriend and yeah there was a camera there and everything else and I kind of just was like right do the interview with these and then go do you want me to do an interview with French TV and I remember the manager at the time was like oh you'll have to bring us with me with you and I was just looked at him and I was like if I can bring anybody I'm bringing my family I'm not bringing you <laughs> like and it was just a random like it was just crazy like it really was and as I said I was there for that and then obviously when I got home in, in December we had time off between the Ballon d'Or itself was on January 12th so I didn't really have a lot of time before that as such so it was more focusing on doing my own training at home and kind of then going going to the awards and and obviously with the awards themselves that kind of put me in the limelight a little bit and people knew then that I'd left France so I had a couple of people kind of come in offering me contracts to go and play in England and a few different places I was asked to go to Holland and and then I obviously was asked to go and play in America and I went to play that was a huge thing for me because I love America I've always liked going over there and I coached in America for summers and stuff and just loved my time there so when I was asked to go play for Houston I was like this is the one I'm gonna go I'm gonna take that chance and go there and Stephanie I know we've kind of skimmed over there but let's go back so we (laughs) the the child who grew up uh idolizing Manchester United and next year at an awards ceremony talk to me who was there and what it was like uh, yeah look it was incredible it was the whole thing was just it really is it's only when I look back now and I realize how surreal the actual situation was because there was such a build-up to the awards obviously and like people are so so nice and everybody just got behind it so much like the goal was getting retweeted by like like footballers like Matt Letizia who would have scored unbelievable goals over the years like Rio Ferdinand's uh James Corden like random people just who you'd never ever think would even know who I am were talking about my goal and it was just I remember just like pinching myself several times a day kind of going this is crazy like you know but yeah the lead up to the actual awards was so mental like I was doing so many interviews every day like I had people ringing me from all over the world I remember when I was in France even I had people coming from Brazil to do a video uh, or it an interview with me on video at my football club in France like it was just it was crazy it was mental time and when it actually came to the day of the awards it was just like it was almost like a sigh of relief that I was just there and I was like right now I can just enjoy this because I had been on such a high and like honestly I was exhausted just from all the stuff that I've been doing like and I remember getting there and thankfully I was able to originally I was only able to bring one person with me who was going to be my boyfriend Dean obviously and I asked my agent at the time, I actually had an agent then at this stage, so which was good, if he'd be able to get in touch with, with FIFA and try and get me a couple more people. And he was like, oh, I'll definitely be able to get more people. Like, And he got, in fairness, he was able to get me a couple more invites. So I was able to bring my dad and my brother and Dean's girlfriend, who, or Dean's girlfriend, that's me, Dean's <laughs> sister, uh, Carla, who had done a lot of stuff for me. So I was happy that I was able to bring her too. So I was able to bring a couple of people who who obviously my dad and brother were, were very close growing up in terms of my football so that was nice 
So the day of the awards was just crazy because we, we arrived uh, off the plane and something that I'd never, ever seen before, there was a little door to the side of the, the when you come off the plane and it was like a secret little step down and there was a, a big blacked out Merc waiting to take myself and Dean to baggage reclaim. And I was kind of like, I don't know, sure I'll stay with my dad and all I hear. Like, and, like, I was proper Irish and I'm like, oh, grand, like, oh, true, it's all right. And like, we had all the photographers and the media were with us as well from like, like Jackie Hurley from RTE and Dave Marr from Sportsfall, like people who I knew from doing stuff with. So I felt like in Asia kind of going, right, I'll see his baggage reclaim. I'm going to get a lift over, <laughs> which is like a two minute drive. You know, and I kind of so I was like, oh, it's grand, it's grand. But in the end, they were like, no, it's okay, come on. So I went with them anyway and got in the car, drove over, skipped obviously the security, everything else, went out, got our bags. There was like big signs everywhere, like for FIFA, Ballon d'Or. It was just, it was crazy. And we get a picture with my dad in front of that. And, and, and even, actually, I forgot to say before we, we, we left, I remember leaving uh, the airport and myself and my dad had to do, in Dublin this was, we done an interview on, on the radio. I can't remember what channel it was or what station it was. We were doing that many interviews. I can't remember which one this was. But the two of us were sitting in like an airport lounge doing an interview and I remember my dad got really upset and I'd never seen my dad upset before and I was just like, This is really weird. I was like, Are you okay? Are you okay? It was like somebody said to him, like, Are you proud? And he was just like, We're obviously extremely proud of her and he got a little bit welled up and I could just hear him when I was like, I'm gonna start crying and it was just a really weird like a weird situation because I really I suppose hit me how much it meant to him and how proud he was because he was always so very very proud of my football and still is like so he went to hear his like I suppose his emotion and his joy and proud how proud he was really kind of hit home to me like how great this was and how how proud I should be of myself more so but yeah, that was a huge kind of just a crazy moment and then obviously as I said we got there we walked into the hotel we were staying in the Hyatt in Zurich, which is one of the most luxurious hotels I've ever stayed in my life. And um, we got to the reception. It was so funny. It's all typical Irish again. Like my brother and my dad were sharing a room and me and Dean were sharing a room and Carla had her own room. And we got to the, to the reception and got myself in Dean's room. And then we both all looked at each other and we're like, do we have to pay for our own room? Like my dad and my brother were like, do we have to pay for this? And, like, and my dad was getting his credit card out. And I was like, no, 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 I think it's included. And thankfully we had Eamon McLaughlin, who was my agent, and he was kind of like, I don't be sitting used to have to pay for it. And he went up and he's used to doing all that sort of them dealings. But us, we wouldn't have been used to it. And we were like, and I would have been there for the room. My dad was like, it's grand, I'll pay for it. And I was like, no, oh, no, you don't have to, I don't think. But again, typical Irish, not really knowing the kind of ins and outs of all these type of places. We just kind of were thinking we had to pay for it. But we walked into the reception then anyway, having sorted out all of that. And Ruth Gullet was there. Ruth Gullet was there. Um, Joachim Lowe, the German manager, was standing there. And we were kind of just like, oh, there's your man. There's your man. There's your man. Then we walked around the corner. And we went in. We are going to have a bit of lunch before going to get ready and get my hair and makeup and, and all that sort of stuff done. And we sat down and Del Piero walked in. And like my brother, obviously, would have, my brother is 40 next year. So he would have been kind of of his generation obviously I knew who Del, Del Piero was as well he would have been kind of towards the latter of his career when I was watching but Eric was just like Jesus Christ there's Del Piero and we're like come on we go get a picture like so we went over and we're chatting to him and like one of the nicest things I ever heard was him knowing who I was because I went over kind of going oh there's Del Piero hey I'm I'm actually nominated for a goal and um, I'm can I get a picture with you know being real kind of like 
shy kind of like didn't know how to approach him and he was like oh I've seen your goal a very very good goal like uh, good luck was really really nice got a picture with us chats and my family and, and that was kind of the first real kind of I wouldn't say starstruck because I don't really get starstruck and I'm not really that type of person who be like I mean I've met so many footballers now over the years where I know they're all human and most of them are all very down to earth from a similar background to me because kind of that's what football is you know but um yeah he was the first person who we who really kind of had a little chat with and that was kind of the icebreaker as such because after that there was more people walking in yeah James Rodriguez came in he was obviously in the same category as me and we chatted he hadn't got great English but we kind of chatted a little bit and then Thierry Henry walked by it was just it was surreal like it really was and and myself and Carla then had to go off and do like I had to go and do a little interview with FIFA TV beforehand um, my dad and Eric went and watched the press conference. He went over to watch like the manager's press conference. So they got to see like obviously the likes of Joachim Lowe and a couple of other like really good managers kinda I think Ancelotti was there as well, Carlo Ancelotti. So they were literally sitting in a room watching them do an interview. Like so that was cool for them to to see that as well. And and then I remember when we were on our way to go and do my get my hair and makeup done, myself and Carly got into a lift and we just kinda turned and Philip Lamb was standing there and I was just like Oh hey, <laughs> and I remember like I was proper don't say that and just leave it. And Carla's like, "Oh, Philip, have you voted for Steps Go?" And I was like, "Oh, Carla, stop!" It was just like one of those moments where you're like, "Oh my God, get me out of here!" But it was just funny because obviously you're getting to an age you're not expecting to see someone like that. But yeah, it was just honestly the whole day was that way, just seeing so many people like that, and then obviously the ceremony itself was crazy as well. Like just like where we were saying the Hyatt was actually right around the corner from where the Ballon d'Or ceremony was on like we were like we'll walk over like it's literally right there and they were like no 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 you have to get in the car and drive over so I literally got in the car drove over and then waved from the end of the venue to my dad and all because they were literally across the road where the hotel was and went down the red carpet doing a couple of interviews like it was just it was crazy and surreal but it was yeah really really good experience and I remember then we went into um, we had a FIFA delegate looking after me all day and she was really, really nice. And she kind of said to me at the start of the day, is there anybody in particular who you'd like to meet? And I said, look, I'm a big United fan. Um, I really like, I'd like to meet Cristiano Ronaldo. I said, he'd be the one person who I actually would like to kind of get a picture with, you know, if I could. Because I didn't want to be going into the, I didn't want to be going into the place like looking for photos with everybody because you don't want to be that that person, you know, like on the way you kind of want to be able to, the same like it, obviously I was there on merit and I scored a goal that would already have been there so I wanted to make sure that I wasn't seen as this huge runner around getting pictures with everyone type of thing so when we got into the kind of the nomination or the nominees section there was loads of people obviously I could name so many I don't want to say name dropping everybody but obviously I seen Ronaldo and I was like oh there's Ronaldo can you go over and get a picture and, and she said hold on a second I'll go over and ask him and she came back over and got us and goes all right, come on over. And we went in. He had a little area kind of to himself with all his entourage. And we went in and we got a little picture with him. And, and he was really nice, just a really nice guy. I couldn't get over because sometimes you meet some footballers and they're absolute assholes, think they're above themselves, you know, like on the way. But he was really nice and got a picture with us. And, and he knew about my goal as well. And he had he had said that they'd been talking about the goal and stuff. So that was cool, like to hear him say that. And yeah, it was just amazing to get a picture with him and, and have the little chat with him and then after that we had to go into the actual live ceremony so it was just yeah it was surreal it was a great great time and obviously something that I look back on fondly it was a great time for me and my family. It's amazing to hear the passion in your voice when you talk about your father and the proud moments and 
him kind of well. And I just just hearing your story now and thinking of you back in Shankill and kicking the ball on the road and how far you've come. So it's pretty it's pretty inspiring stuff, Stephanie. So Stephanie, from there, did did what happen? Offers come in left, right, and center, and you were kind of like, what what am I going to do? Yeah, def- that's exactly what happened. To be honest, and it was weird. It was great. Like I, it's funny because I've always been a really shy person I've always been quite it's funny I remember I went on the Late Late Show which again is surreal I think I even went on the Late Late Show and I remember after being on it I came back I don't know whether it was maybe the Saturday or the Sunday I was in Dean's house and his aunties and all were there and they were like Steph we've barely heard you talk in the last few years <laughs> and you're on the Late Late Show like not a bother to you and I was like oh I don't know where it's coming from but like it was weird because as I said I've always been really really shy and kind of not really being that outspoken but obviously when you're putting this in the line I remember thinking to myself I either go on the camera and be really shy and say nothing and look like an idiot or I try and be myself and, and talk and and tell people what I ask when people ask me a question just answer it in my most honest way and that, that's kind of what I try to do and like thankfully people seem to take to me and, and seem to like me so I got a lot of options a lot of uh offers to do different things and obviously I got a lot I was on a lot of TV shows I was on obviously I said the Late Late Show I was on the Miriam McCallaghan show the Saturday Night Show I was on pretty much everything that there was to be on at the time and as I said it was crazy to, to have all that and well, I obviously was offered a lot of a lot of different things but for me personally and even looking back now I remember Dean was saying he was reading an article the other day about some like a female player who had to choose um, like a more financial career over football and he said to me like you're a prime example of the person who didn't do that and I was like I know <laughs> because obviously I was offered a lot of money to do a lot of different things in TV and kind of media and stuff like that but for me personally like if I had gone and done that I would have been it would have been I would have I've always regretted it you know like on the way I think football particularly is a very short career and I think looking back now the opportunity that I had I would have made a lot of money. I would have been very comfortable now, I think. And I didn't choose to do that. I chose to stick with football. And like in hindsight, I wouldn't say I regret it because I think if I didn't stick at football, I definitely would have regretted it. And looking back now, I I had the opportunity to go and play in a lot of different countries. I enjoyed it. I had a great time with Sunderland. I loved my time over there. I met great people. And like, don't get me wrong, I made a little bit of money from football and also doing the other things. But there's definitely things that I, I kind of, I said no to because it would have took too much time away from football and I would have been, I probably would have been lying to myself. Obviously, everything that I got came because of football. So for me to then say, okay, well, I'm being offered this, I'm going to go do that and not play football anymore, I would have just been like, no, that's just not me. I want to play football and I want to do everything in my power to kind of get to the highest level I can and, and keep playing at the highest level for as long as possible. So, like, I had all, loads of opportunities and loads of offers. And to be fair, the likes of RTE and other places were very, very good to me in terms of working around my schedule. But there were other things that meant I'd have to give up football in order to do them. And I just, I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that at the time, so. And Stephanie, like, we're, like you've, you've plenty more time left in your career, but do you see, are you aware of what you'd like to transition to into? Is it coaching? Is it, uh, is it TV? Or what, what are you looking at in that area? Um, yeah, to be honest with you I don't really know it's funny because obviously as I talked earlier about college and stuff and I kind of I was a bit naive growing up that I didn't really know what I wanted to do it was always football and I suppose now looking at it when I was injured I think it's probably the first time where I really thought 
Jesus, what am I going to do when I finish football? You know, like on the way, like I didn't really think of it up until that point. And um, I kind of, I decided when I was injured, I was out for nearly a year anyway. And then it maybe 18 months in total in terms of not playing. So I was able to kind of look and look at things and actually work on like things that I've, when, when I had the whole Puskas thing, I was told I should do this, you should do that. I had loads of people giving me advice in terms of what I should do. I should, you know, yourself, you're always going to have people wanting to get their, their point across. And a few things that kind of was like, that could work. Yeah, that won't work. That could work. I could do that. And one of the things that I wanted to try and do was build my own coaching company. So I thought, obviously at the time of when the whole Puskas was, it would have been great to do with them because I would have been re- really popular and a lot of people would have known who I was and, and wanted to deal with me. But I didn't have the time. I didn't have the time that I wanted because I, I always said that if I'd done it, I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to half hour set and just put my name on it and then have other people running it and me not knowing what they're doing, do you know, that kind of way. So when I was injured, I was able to kind of take the time to actually really look into that. I had help from people who have done it before. I had help from people who work in like the council and stuff like that. He would be able to give me information, information on insurance and all that sort of stuff. And I was able to set up my, my own coaching company, which is obviously Stephanie Roche FC. And we debated what to call it for so long and do you know everybody who I asked like you be you should always you should use your name because it's recognizable and and that was something again that I was like oh, I don't really want to use my name and I kind of it sounds real stupid just using my own name but yeah I set that up during while I was injured and that's kind of something that I think I, I like to get into I really enjoy working with kids and um, particularly kids who maybe wouldn't have had coaching before or maybe don't play a lot of football and just it's it's very rewarding and this sounds really corny but like when you have a kid on a camp on a Monday who can't kick a ball properly and then come the Friday, they're showing you themselves kicking the ball. Like I showed them something on the Monday or the Tuesday or the Wednesday or Thursday, wherever it might be. And they'd be calling me on the Friday going, oh, look, look, I can do it now. And they'll do it. And it's just kind of like that little, like, oh, deadly, they're forgetting something from me. And I like on the way. So I think definitely in the future, and obviously right now I'm still doing it with my coaching at my camps and we're in schools and stuff like that as well. So that would be something that, I think will be be in my future will be coaching of some level and, and hopefully hopefully I can make a career out of it and, and actually make it something that I can actually make money from. <laughs> and Stephanie, do you do you have an ethos on coaching? Because I know when I was growing up, like I played for St. Joseph Boys, Sally Noggin, but I like I think it's hard. I think when I see clubs these days, sometimes it's like let's generate a player that can play in the Premier League or abroad. And then I'm like, there's a part of me is like there needs to be an emphasis on kids enjoying and having fun at the weekend and learning a new skill. So what would be your like coaching ethos? Definitely. I think I agree with you. I think I've had, I've had so many different types of coaches over the years. I've had coaches who are all about, it's just football. It's just football. You have to do this, this and this. If you want to make it a football, you have to be committed. You have to do this, you have to do that. And I agree with it. If you want to make it a football, you have to be committed. But when you're 12 years of age, you need to enjoy it. <laughs> and I think for me, I've had a lot of parents and stuff come to me about their young girls and and even young lads, to be fair, um, who, who I, I know when I was playing, I had so many friends who stopped playing at like 14, 15. And I think parents worry that their daughters or their sons might stop playing at a certain age. And there can be a fine line between making sure they stay at it and making them stay at it. You know, that kind of way. I think you have to kind of make sure that it actually is what they want because the worst thing you can do is try and force them to do it and then it drives them away from it. But yeah, for me, I think from the ages of, say, obviously below 12 is always just fun and, and learning and getting themselves kind of into their technique and everything else. But from 12 to 16, I think it should be 
really, really establishing yourself in your position that you want to play, but enjoying yourself, like actually enjoying the game and making sure that every game you play, you're enjoying it. Like there's nothing worse worse for me than seeing like another thirteens match where you've got five players on the bench who don't get on for a minute. I mean, like what's the point in that? You're not playing for the Premier League, you're playing to develop these players and no no one player deserves to be developed more than another. You know that kind of way. And I think particularly like you might have managers who who think they're Jose Mourinho on the sideline wanting to win the league. You know that kind of way. It doesn't matter if if John who hasn't played a minute all season doesn't play, you know that kind of way. So for me it would all be between that age, I think it's it's about development and make, and making sure because there are some players out there who don't make it till they're eighteen and nineteen. You know, you don't see like, there's players who maybe have a growth spurt that 16, 17 out of nowhere, you know, kind of way who, who become better players. So you don't really know the good players and the bad players until that age, really. I mean, obviously there's some players who are special and you see from a young age, but I think it's important that young kids are enjoying their football and, and learning and having fun while they're doing it. Yeah, I suppose I was at a, I was at a wedding there recently and uh, two for sites were at it. And <laughs> uh, I'm sure if anyone knows Joey, still not a for site name. And they were just making the point that things have changed so much now that the parents on the sideline are not allowed to shout and coach, which is, I think is brilliant because sometimes the peer pressure from the parents putting it on their kids or someone else's kid could be overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny because I, me and my dad had like obviously a very, very close relationship growing up. My dad brought me to almond matches and he'd always be giving out to me on the sideline. And like we'd always have, after the game, you know, we lost the game. We'd be like, will you ever stop shouting on the sideline? It's not, no, it doesn't help. All this sort of stuff. But like, I think there's a way of doing it. And I think most parents nowadays know because I think it's being very highlighted. I mean, you've seen so many bad stories and, and things about kids give, getting given out to by parents or even getting abuse from other people's parents. Like, and there's, there's, a, there's a way around it now. I think people know that it's not the right way to be. But I think, for me, I think it's a little bit sad that you don't have it because I think some, obviously, if it's all positive, great. And I think that should be allowed because obviously you want kids to feel like they're in an important match and, and kids love that. I think I think when I've been at matches where like, kids are made to feel like they're Ronaldo, like, oh, you're a great player. You're going to do really well today. You know, or get us a goal or something like that. I think it's important to kind of have that little bit of competition to a certain extent. But obviously you don't want to hear like managers or parents screaming and shouting at young kids because it's not I say screaming and shouting negatively because that's obviously not what you want to hear but yeah it's it's good for the kids to kind of have that I think to have the just have the manager talking and, and not have anything too negative at them, especially at that young age yeah and Stephanie I, I'm conscious of time and I, I'm very appreciative of your time so just a last couple of questions as we finish off um, a question I kind of ask most of my guests is is there anything in life so far where you've like What's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Um, kind of an on-spot so, question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say probably control the controllable. Um, like I play in a football, I play in a sport where a lot of the time I'm not in control. I mean, I'm controlling myself, I'm in control of what I do and and what I do to make sure that I do play. And I... I sometimes particularly in football you're going to have managers who who have different opinions you're going to have managers who have different ideals and, and want different things from certain players and like I've been at clubs where the manager loved me and I played every minute and then I've been at clubs where the manager loves somebody else who plays my position and I'm kind of like well I know I'm better than that player as much as that sounds really bad but there's been situations where like players have come up and kind of gone like why aren't you playing and I'm like I don't know 
and then there's another player playing ahead of you. So I think like there's times where there are situations that are just out of your control. But something that I've learned to do is not go and just like soak and say, well, no, he's not going to play me anyway. But go and keep training and keep doing the right things and control what you have in your control. And that means that, like for me, for instance, if I was in, when I was in Italy recently, if I was training and not really giving a shit and just not bothered and then going to play for Ireland, I wouldn't be sharp and ready for training there. So I'm kind of out there on, on spiting myself as such. So I think, yeah, can control the controllable is something that I wouldn't even say someone's given it to me. I think I've probably learned it over the years. I think it's something that I've, I've taught myself. I think as a kid going up through the years over in my twenties and everything else, I kind of learned different things and everywhere I've played and, like there be times where I think this manager hates me, but they don't. They just see something different than somebody else, you know, like on the way. So it's just about, as I said, controlling what you can control and then be ready to do what you can do when you get the opportunity to do it. Yeah, brilliant. Um, a lot of value on that. And Stephanie, is there any recommendations you'd have for any of the listeners, whether it's books or podcasts or anything that you, you've used that has helped you on your journey? Um... I, w- I wouldn't even say it's helped me on my journey, but one that I like to listen to a podcast is uh, What's the Story? Uh, Graham and Danny, I was on it twice already and it's it's very good. Like just they have some really good guests on and I've, I've really enjoyed it. Just kind of a bit of fun, a bit of crack like and yeah, enjoyable. enjoyable. Um, books I've read, I, the only books I ever really read are autobiographies, <laughs> sports autobiographies. So like, Paul McGrath, I read that and that was really, really good. Uh, Roy Keane like mainly Man United at once to be honest um, and the most recent book that I read actually was Richie Sadler's Recovering which is very very good as well I really enjoyed that so if anybody's looking for a good read in, in terms of of kind of sports and I suppose he, Richie obviously had a, a bit of a weird story he got injured and had to stop playing football so that was it was a nice one to kind of a different type of one to read but it was a very very powerful good read Brilliant. and Stephanie where can uh, people stay in touch with Jim find you uh, Instagram at Stephanie Roach F Stephanie Roach nine and Twitter the same and I think Facebook is Stephanie Roach oh nine. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, Stephanie. All I want to say is just thank you so much for your time again. It, it was the honesty of it, it, brilliant, and hearing about your story and the ups and downs, and it, it's fantastic. So I just want to say a big thank you. No problem, Tom. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. Appreciate it. Best look. Bye bye.